Amen. <clears throat> hey, if, uh, if you've never seen It's a Wonderful Life, confess it to your neighbor, and they'll punch you in the nose for being a godless generation, okay? Watch that movie, people. It's a great, great movie. Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Church of 1122. We are glad you're here. If you got your Bible, and I hope you do, grab it. We're going to be in John chapter 4, and if you got your notes, get those out. And if you're my age and up, they will be of little value to you this week, okay? And that's my fault. I put too many Bible verses in there, and I've just got to confess. I'm 42 years old, and so I'm at the point right now, I've never confessed this to you, that I kind of have two options with this print. It's like too blurry, too small, too blurry, too small. So, but I'm in my, I'm in my denial phase. I think I get two years of denial before I have to, but coming to you soon, I'll be very, very dramatic. I'll be able to go and take my, that's coming. Blessing out the readers. All right, so the reason I want everybody to get your notes out, though, is I do want you to be able to write down about four things, four things I want you to write down before you leave today. So get a pen, get your notes, get your Bible. John chapter 4, we are in the fifth week of this series, Unexpected Hope, and they're face-to-face encounters with Jesus, face-to-face encounters with Jesus. And in John chapter 4, Jesus comes face-to-face with this woman, and what happens is that um, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to knock down roadblock after roadblock after roadblock that she throws up to kind of say, hey, here's why you and I can't be face-to-face together. And the reason I want to walk through it with you today is this, is that as we kind of shift gears out out of Christmas and into the new year, um, this is one of the best times to talk to people about our faith. And here's why. Because the new year just lends itself to intense self-evaluation. Intense self-evaluation. Everybody that you know is evaluating last year and thinking through how they're going to do next year differently. And what I want to do by the time you walk out of here uh, when we get finished is I want you to be able to, at the end of that, be able to say this line right here. Well, you should come to 1122 with me. You should come to 1122 with me. Now, I know it doesn't make sense to you right now, but it'll make a whole lot of sense in a little while, that regardless of whatever that self-evaluation is, that the answer from you, a part of the answer is going to be, oh, wow. So you should come to 1122 with me because many people are going to say, look, 2015 was a wreck. And uh, I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And you're like, oh, yeah, it was a wreck. You should come to 1122 with me. Or some people are going to look forward. 2016 is going to be totally different. I'm doing a lot of things different. You're like, yeah, one of the different things you could do is you should come to 1122 with me. Or some people will say, you know, I need to lose some weight. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And you should come to 1122 with me. All right? So whatever it is, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, In fact, why don't we practice it one time? Ready? You should come to 1122 with me. All right? Now, I'm going to equip you to be able to do that uh, with confidence by by the time you leave here. So... Um, what's going to happen, though, again, as, as you come face-to-face with people, here's what you're going to understand, is that, that these are God-ordained meetings, and the reason that, that you're going to have these meetings with people is because God placed you on purpose where you are with who you are. And so at just the right time, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I are going to have the, the ability to have these conversations, and conversations are so powerful. In fact, did you know every single one of us are here as a result of a conversation? A long time ago, one person looked at another person and said, how you doing? And then fast forward, and here we are. Do you see how God uses conversation? So John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So underline had to, and when this was first written, when the people heard Samaria, all the Jewish people went, not Samaria. Now, on this had to part, Jesus did not geographically have to go through Samaria. 
As people would go from like Jerusalem to Galilee, they would go, the Jews would go around Samaria because there was an intense hatred between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. The, the Samaritans had intermarried and intermingled with some uh, pagan Gentiles during the time of the exile. And so the, the pure Jewish folks hated them and they hated each other and, and it, was, it was a super bad deal. But I think the reason the Bible says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria is because he had to meet with this woman at the well that he's going to meet with. Because he had a divine appointment with that woman. So if you're new here, maybe this is your first time, and you don't even know why you're here today, here's what I would say to you. You you had to be here today. That God had appointed that you would be here. And you're thinking, God didn't make this appointment. I made this with her. And the only reason I can go to lunch with her is to be at church with her. Okay, you may think that's how it goes. Or you may have lost a bet, or maybe Nana won't feed you lunch if you don't show up to church with her after Christmas, or whatever the reason you think is. It it might be the kind of superficial reason, but what I need you to understand is there is almighty sovereign God that knows every hair on your head. Some of us, it's easier than others. But he knows, he knows, and he wants to woo you unto himself, and he is appointed that you would be here to hear the gospel today. And not only that, every, if you consider yourself a Christian, every single friend, coworker, family member, neighbor that you have, God has placed them in your life on purpose. You see, Jesus knew that he had this appointment with this woman, and so he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, weary as he was from his journey. Now don't throw that verse away too quickly, okay? That means that divinity was wrapped in humanity. The almighty sovereign God of the universe allowed himself to go through every, every kind of thing that we go through as humans. That the one that spoke into existence all things that are got tired. He allowed himself to, to, to get tired like us so that he would be an empathetic savior. So when we cry out, God, this hurts, he goes, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And so he was wearied from his journey, and he was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That's about 12 o'clock, and that matters in a little while. Verse 7. And a woman from Samaria. Now, if this is a movie, like the soundtrack changes. Dun, dun, dun. Here she comes. All right? So a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. I don't know why it takes 12 men to go to the grocery store, but it does. You know what I'm saying? We should not go alone. We come back with weird stuff. So one guy's got to read the list, another guy gets it. I don't know. They all go to get food. Verse 9, and the Samaritan woman said, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So the first roadblock that she throws up as Jesus has this face-to-face encounter with her is this. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, Socially and racially and culturally, we shouldn't really be speaking. You know, one of the biggest roadblocks to people coming to Christ, I'll tell you, in the most extreme sense, it's just flat-out racism. And this is a part of what, what is being dealt with here. And Jesus just busts through, busts through that barrier like this. He's saying, essentially, what Jesus is demonstrating here is anything that says two people, of any, regardless of culture or race or ethnicity, anything that says that these two people should not be face-to-face in, in any kind of relationship, really, is, is man-made and not God-made. And so he just busts right through this. And let me tell you this, this is a big black eye in the church in America, and should be. And um, the church is still still the most segregated hour in, in in our nation all week long. That is why the Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we celebrate as we grow more and more and more diverse. 
And we want to, and as an elder board, we're praying about it, and as a staff, we're trying to do things about it. And let me just tell you this. As we celebrate becoming more and more of a movement for, for all people, all color people, all kind of people, all socioeconomic classes of people, let me tell you, this is our heart. This is our heart. It's not the point. The gospel is the point. Get it? The gospel is the point, but a natural byproduct of the gospel is since Jesus died for all people, all people ought to come to Jesus, and when you come to 1122, you meet Jesus. Let me just say it this way, and I know, everybody, everybody gets nervous when a white guy talks about race, especially white people. They're like, oh no, what's he going to say? Okay, <laughs> I don't care. Here, I'm just going to say it as clear as I can. We are a movement for all people. We are praying that, that our church on Sunday morning and Thursday night and Sunday night looks a lot more like our community. And so, let me just say this, this clearly. If you don't look like me, I need you to go get some more people to look like you and come here so we can look more like heaven. You understand what I'm saying? Amen? I don't know how to say it any more clearly. And we are trying and desiring, and the reason is because it is a gospel implication. It is a gospel implication. Now, on a much lesser scale, I think sometimes when you <clears throat> introduce people to Jesus or try to, or you say things like, well, you should come to 1122 with me. One of the pushbacks we get in a lesser uh, kind of sociological way is this. People are like, well, you know what? I, you know, I'm just not church people. I'm, I'm just not church people. I mean, I've tried church and I had that kind of experience and I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not church people. And so the problem with that is that there's been a lot of people in Jacksonville that have gone to church and they thought, well, if that's what church is, that's not for me. And the problem is, unintentionally, unintentionally, what a lot of churches do is they create a bunch of things for church people instead of creating a bunch of things for people to come face-to-face -face with Jesus. Because listen, the point in saying to somebody, well, you should come to 1122 with me, it, is not, it has nothing to do with 1122. And for goodness sake, it's not to be me. It's so that people can meet Jesus. And so what we're trying to do as a church is we just want to move all the stuff out of the way that people made up that get in the way of people meeting Jesus. You see, I didn't grow up in church. You know why? Because the fish bite on Sunday too. And so daddy would take us fishing on Sunday. Praise God, right? He's like, Jesus is a fisherman. That's what we should do. And so we did. So then occasionally I'd go to church. And, and where I'm from, you know, everybody went to Baptist churches. There's a few other people, but mostly people were Baptists. And everybody thought their church was the way. You know, like if they were Lutheran, no, you're supposed to do church like this. And Presbyterian's supposed to do church like this. And the Baptists were just fighting with each other. And that's why there were like 19 Baptist churches in every town, all right? And so I can make fun of the Baptists because I'm a recovering Baptist, so whatever. And so, and there's a lot of you here, right? Yeah, I know. Everybody's like, how'd you know? <laughs> all right, so. And then we would get there, and it was crazy. I mean, it was just like nothing else I'd ever experienced in my life. Now, here's the thing. The people that were at that Baptist church their whole life, they didn't even know because they had been in it their whole life. It was a great church, very well-meaning people. And I can remember being there, and there was like a dress code, you know, like, you couldn't just wear shorts and a jersey, right? You had to wear khakis and those kinds of things. And, and, and then everybody would just stand up and start singing randomly, all at once. Just boom, there he is up. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. So why don't we slow down real quick? How'd y'all know how to do that, right? I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. Over time, though, as I started attending that church, I started learning all the insider moves. And I knew when to stand up, when to sit down, and you could, you know, play on the offering envelope and all that kind of stuff. I knew all the stuff. And then one time, I went to a Catholic church, right? And here's the thing about Catholic church. It's great if you're Catholic. If you grow up, you're like, yeah, I know all this stuff. That's why some of you come here, and it doesn't even feel like real church, does it? Here you go. There you go. There you go. All right, you're in. It's real. 
And so I go to Catholic church, and I have no idea. I'm a total out. Nobody considered that there might be a visitor at Catholic church. And so, and so here we're sitting down. Everybody stands up. I'm the last one up. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I get up, and then everybody just sits down. I'm the last one up. I'm like, God. So I sit back down, and then I'm ready. I'm on the edge. And then, and then they start to move, and I go, ha, ha, and I pop up, and they all go to a kneel. I'm like, what are y'all doing on the floor? I'm the only one standing up. <laughs> hey, everybody. Okay. And then I go back down, and then we line up for communion. See, we had taken communion at my Baptist church, and at my Baptist church, everybody gets a shot glass and a little chiclet, right? A little Jesus, right? And it's like, bam, it's like taking an Advil. You're done. It's quick. <laughs> Catholic church, you get in line. I was like, what are we in line for? I've never been in a line for something like this. This is great. Normally, we lined up to meet the preacher on the way back, on the way out. And so there we are, and I'm looking, and I'm like, oh my gosh, they are drinking out of the same cup. <laughs> and I don't care. You can wipe that little do it out and turn it one, but that only works four times. And then <laughs> I'm kissing this lady right up here in front of me, and that is not. It's flu season. Well, the good news is I got to the front. They weren't going to let me drink out the cup anyway because I was a Baptist. They asked me the Catholic question, and I was like, I do not know the answer. I didn't know the password to get in to transubstantiation, okay? And so I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the guy told me, he was like, you should not have come. That's what he told me. And I was like, I have been uninvited to many things, but never communion. I didn't know. And little did I know, little did I know that you could just tap out. You could do the like, no, I'm out. And you get a blessing. Holy hell. I was like, that's sweeter. That's way better than getting sick from grandma two, two rows up. So I just didn't know. I just didn't know. So, so when, when we created the church of 1122, you see, what we want to do here is we're not trying to make 22ers. We're trying to make disciples. So everything that we do here is all about Jesus. That's what it's about. That is what it's about. It's all about Jesus. Now, we have a way of doing things, but what we are trying our best to do is we're trying to remove all those kind of things, those man-made things that get in the way. But here's what we are not trying to do. This is not just entertainment hour. You see, this is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so, <clears throat> you see, if you ask somebody to church, if you say, hey, listen, you should come to 1122 with me this weekend. And they're like, ah, you know, I, I'm not church people. I've been to church before. Because here's the thing. Here's why a lot of people will say that, too, around where we live, you know, here in Jacksonville. It's this. Well, Jesus said it this way. I think it's in Matthew chapter 7. He said, what father among you, if your child asks for a piece of bread, would give him a rock? And, you know, that's been a lot of people's experience. They showed up to church looking for something that would feed them and nourish them, and instead they got stones thrown at them. And they're like, hey, I can get that for free at JTB at 5 o'clock, okay? People can yell at me and cuss at me for that. I don't want to go to church and get yelled at and cussed at for that. And so that's kind of been their experience. And so what we want to do at 1122 is just make this a place that's all about Jesus in such a way that every single person, regardless of your background, could kind of work through all the clutter and come face-to-face -face with Jesus. And so if you say to people, hey, you should come to 1122 with me, and they're like, hey, you know what, I've tried church, and, and I'm not church people, then here's what I would encourage you to say. I would encourage you to write this down. If the roadblock of, of like social or cultural, I'm not church people, pops up, then maybe you, would be respond, you could respond this way. Well, how about come and check it out, see for yourself, and make up your own mind. You're not trying to argue with people because what you're going to see here in John chapter 4 is Jesus does not try to win an argument. He just tries to win a heart. See the difference? Because let me tell you, Christians are great at making a point. Not so good at making a difference. And what we're called to do is make a difference in somebody's life by not trying to win an argument, but, but win over a person just to meet Jesus and figure it out for themselves. And 
That's why, by the way, we are a movement for all people. For all people, all kind of people, all colored people, regardless of your background, regardless of who you are, what you've done, honestly, and what you are doing right now. We're a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we're not the either-or church. I was told a long time ago by a very, very, very smart pastor that's a better preacher than me, way smarter than me, got a bigger, all that kind of stuff. And he said, you've got to make a fundamental decision early on when you start this church. Are you going to reach people or are you going to keep people? And I said, Burnt. we're going to do both. We want people to discover Jesus and deepen with Jesus. And you know who taught me that? My son JP and Shrek. See, we're sitting on the couch one day. And we're watching Shrek three or four about the thousandth time, okay? Can I get a witness? And so, Donkey makes a joke, and JP cracks up. Ha, ha, ha. And then Shrek says something funny, and I laugh. Oh, and he goes, what are you laughing at? And it dawned on me in that minute. Is Shrek an adult movie or a kid movie? Well, if Pixar can pull it off, don't you think the Holy Spirit can both allow people to discover who Jesus is for the very first time and simultaneously people that have been walking with him for a long, long time deepen their relationship with Jesus. So here's what I know right now today at church is that some of you are kind of in that discovery phase for the very first time. You're kind of figuring out, well, hey, what's, what's this with the Bible and the Old Testament and the New Testament? And you haven't really been to church much and you got a lot of questions and you're in the discovery phase. And so we want to do things and communicate in such a way that you don't feel like you've, you know, snuck into the Illuminati meeting and you don't know the secret handshake. We want to communicate in a way that you can understand. And then simultaneously, I I know there's a whole bunch of you that grew up, you were in Sunday school with Moses, okay? And you know the Greek word for everything, and as soon as I go, hey, turn to John 4, you're like, woman well, at the well. You already know. <laughs> and the good thing is that I can't teach you anything, but the Holy Spirit teaches you his word, and that's why week after week after week, this is where we hang out. We just go verse by verse through, through the book. And it's because we're here for both, to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, what I want you to do, I want you to be able to Whenever you're encountering your friends, coworkers, family members, and you get in that moment and you, and you, and you realize, oh, this is, this is my line. Here we go. You should come to 1122 with me. Here's what you would know. Here's what you know. And they go, yeah, I, I think I'm not a church person. You say, well, just come check it out and see for yourself and make up your own mind. Here's what happened. Philip meets Jesus. And then Philip goes to see Nathaniel, a guy that he's close to, and, and he says, hey, why don't you come check out Jesus? And Nathaniel says this. This is in John chapter 1, verse 46. And he goes, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asks, and Philip answers him, come and see. You see, all Philip is doing is this. Philip is just saying, hey, listen, I don't know, man. This, it works for me. So why don't you come and just see for yourself? So that's the first roadblock, kind of a social, cultural roadblock. And the answer is, well, just come check him out and just see for yourself. Go to verse 10. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's important words. You might want to underline that. Because when he says living water, she's like, hmm? Verse 11. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where, did, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Around here at the Church of 1122, we call that the cul-de-sac of stupidity. In other words, you keep coming back to the same thing over and over and over, looking for something that it will not provide for you. 
And so this well, regular water, it quenches your thirst, but only for a time. And you have to come back to it over and over and over. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. See, a lot of time, uh, the second kind of roadblock of people coming to know Jesus is this. It's just kind of the, the mind-numbing, merry-go-round of normality that we all find ourselves on. You see, here's the, here's the thing about good news. Good news enters into dark places, but what if you don't know if you're in a dark place? You realize that no matter how much I share the gospel, or no matter how much you share the gospel, until the Holy Spirit convicts, the gospel just sounds like random information. Like if you are drowning in the water and I have a life raft, you are paying very close attention to me. But if you do not realize that you're drowning, I just look like a guy with a big ring in my hand. And so I think one of the biggest roadblocks as people, you know, if you just look at somebody and say, hey, man, you're a wretched black-hearted sinner, just headed to a Christless eternity. They're like, uh, no, actually, I uh, walk at Walmart and I'm just headed to lunch. I, what are you talking about here? And you see, we live in a culture that has unhindered access to soul-numbing things of this world. Don't we? And we just keep ourselves entertained with the temporary, a lot of times to distract us from the things that are ultimate and eternal. I mean, how many channels do you have? And could you find anything to watch on TV yesterday? No. Or how many of you, how many of you this happened? After you spent lots of money, leveraged your whole life to get your kids everything under the sun, by 2 o'clock, they came to you and said, Mom, Dad, I'm bored. And you wanted to stab them in the eye with the G.I. Joe that you bought them, did you not? <laughs> but the reality is, is that's really just you and me. Now, here's the problem. For a lot of people, it takes a while to realize it. Because we live in kind of a graduation culture. As long as you're graduating on to the next thing, it takes you a while to realize that, hey, you know what, is this it? And in our world, we graduate from everything. I remember when Gretchen said, hey, listen, we've got to go to JP's uh, first grade graduation. I'm like, what? You don't graduate from first grade. You just go to second grade. Now, I know where I'm from. Many people, that's it. They're like, okay, we're good. We've had enough. All right? I get it. But we kind of want him to keep on going. And, then our, and, and so a lot of times, you know, when you're in middle school, you're looking forward to high school. And high school, looking forward to college. And college, looking forward to grad school. And grad school, looking forward to living in your parents' house again. And then, and then maybe getting a, a real job. And then your first house. And then marriage. Your first baby. But at some point, and, and usually it's around my, my age, 42, 40, right in there, you kind of get to that cruising altitude. And you start looking around going, is this it? You see, one of the things that you're going to do, I believe, in some of these um, divine appointments that God has for you, is you're going to encounter people, and they're looking around, they're going, is this it? And, and a question I would encourage you, so if the roadblock is just kind of the mind-numbing stuff of this world, you see, what, the way I like to call it around here is the merry-go-round of normality. A couple years ago, JP hit the age where he realized that, um, that the merry-go-round, isn't that awesome? And, and we, we, I think we were at the zoo, and we, we go up, and I was like, hey, buddy, you want to ride the merry-go-round? He used to be excited about the merry-go-round. I'm like, hey, you want to ride the merry-go-round? He's like, the merry-go-round sucks. I was like, don't say sucks. He's like, you say sucks. I like, well, don't say it around mom, okay, because we're not supposed to say it, especially in church. So, But you remember when you hit the age of life, when you're like, the merry-go-round of life is just is lame. I mean, when you were a little kid, you thought it was awesome. You go up and down on the horse, but then it's not a horse. It's just a big plastic pole and just up and down. And the highlight is going around mom. You're like, hey, mom. Then, yeah, here I am again, mom. <laughs> Be back in a second. 
I don't know why I take a picture every time. And eventually you're over it. So at what point in your life do you realize, hey, you know what? You ever feel like there just must be more, like get up and drive something and do something and eat something and repeat? Is there more? And I'm telling you, over the next few weeks, as people are in this intense self-evaluation process, God's going to place you to, when they, when they begin to know that, and you say, hey, is this really it? I mean, you got everything you wanted for Christmas, and there's still something missing. Did you ever consider there might be more? Well, yeah, maybe. Well, you should come to 1122 with me. And again, not to just attend our services, because what you're trying to do is help people meet Jesus. Verse 16, and so he said to her, go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. You see, that's why he bumps into this lady at 12 o'clock. You see, the sixth hour, the first hour is like 6 a.m., and the people that w- it was your job to go get water, they would typically go first thing in the morning and right there at dusk, okay, because it was the coolest part of the day. And the reason that she here, is here at 12 o'clock is because, honestly, she's an immoral woman. She's been running through men like crazy, and she's embarrassed to show her face of everybody, you know, to everybody in the town, and she's hoping she won't run into anybody, and she's thinking, how in the world does this man know my whole life? And if you're looking at this, you're like, Jesus, why are you bringing this up? I mean, why are you going to bring up the one thing in her life that she's most embarrassed about? Why are you talking about her sin? And I'll tell you, there's a lot of churches that don't like to talk about sin. (laughs) This is not one of them. We don't mind at all. And here's why. Here's why Jesus brings it up. It's not that he was talking about sin. It's how he talked about it that mattered so much, that knocked down the roadblock. You see, sometimes people throw up this roadblock of, listen, I'm just not ready to change my life. I'm just not ready to change my life. And what Jesus is addressing here is there is an external symptom that reveals an internal reality. He he is using her own life to illustrate that she's been going back to a well over and over and over and over, and she's expecting something from that well that it has never produced, and that's why she's on her sixth man. And he's pointing that out, not to condemn her, for the Bible is very, very clear. The Bible says in John chapter 3 that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so what he's really doing is getting down to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter, she's got a problem with her heart, not her actions. Her actions are just revealing that she's got a heart problem. And what he's saying is, hey, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. And I'm offering you living water right here. And I'm telling you, there will be some people, if you get into conversation about faith and following after Jesus, that always want to get things out of order. That always want to say, all right, so what you're saying is, I've got to change my life and straighten up my act, and then I will be acceptable unto Jesus. Absolutely not. Jesus proved for everybody for all time that he accepts you based on his loving grace poured out for you at the cross. But if you encounter that loving grace, it will change everything about you. Everything about you. That we don't behave so that we will be accepted. But because we experience the acceptance of a heavenly father through through Jesus on the cross, it changes everything about our behavior. But but I'll tell you, there's just a lot of people, there's a lot of folks that say, you know what, I know my life's a mess, but I'll just keep the mess. I mean, it is. Nobody likes change, do they? The messiness of life sometimes can be like a messy diaper. You know, it stinks, but it's warm and it's mine, and I think I'll just keep it. It's just true. And so you look at it from the outside, you're like, I don't know, that seems crazy. But 
I'm telling you, there's lots and lots of folks that say, even though the way I'm running my life is not paying off whatsoever, I still do not want to relinquish control of my life. And so here's typically what, what a lot of people do in our culture. This is the most popular way to handle it right now. Is, um, so this is, this is what is, and this is what God says. And they just don't line up. Now, what Christ calls us to do is surrender our life to the Lordship of Christ and to change the what is to the how God says it. That's hard. So most of us just create God in our own image, and we just try to change what he says and how we live, because that's a lot easier. The problem is, it just doesn't work, and you continue to be the Lord of your own life. You continue to be ruled by feelings and emotions or whatever. And so, if you're having this kind of conversation with somebody, I think essentially what Jesus is saying here, and what I would say to you is this. What if you just ask somebody this? I'd love for you to write this down. What if what your heavenly father has for you is just better? You know, the way you're living life is one way. You've tried that, and I love to ask people this. How's that working for you? And what if, just consider this. What if he's actually a good dad, and he really loves his kids? And if a kid came to their dad, and he was a good dad, and said, can you give me some bread? What dad would give him a stone? What if what God has for you is better? And we don't follow Jesus because he makes our life better, but because Jesus is better than life. And God with you is always better than you walking through it alone. And so they keep going in verse 14. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you were a prophet. I think this was kind of like a funny line in here that John wrote. Because Jesus says, go get your husband. She's like, I don't have a husband. He's like, I know. You ditched five, now you got a new one. And she's like, I think you're a prophet. You think? Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Verse 26, and Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. By the way, Jesus right here is claiming divinity. The fourth big roadblock is this. A lot of times in matters of faith, the big roadblock that comes up is theological. But it's not for theological sake. It's usually as a distraction. You see, when this starts getting real about Jesus being the Lord of her life and he might impact the way she lives and who makes decisions for her and that kind of thing, she's like, well, well, I've got a worship question. I want to talk about the theology of worship. Should it be this mountain or that mountain? And by the way, there's a Messiah coming in one day and we don't know and that's the kind of thing she brings up. Because I'll tell you, one of the things I've experienced a lot when talking about matters of faith, when it starts to get real, is people will kind of throw up this... um, People will throw up this kind of smoke screen of theological questions. And listen, Christian, again, the point is not to win an argument. The point is not to win an argument. If you'll notice here, what Jesus does is he just brings the conversation back to Jesus. Now, he addresses her questions, but he just tries to bring the conversation back to him. See, one of the things that I do is when I fly, I just have decided I'm going to share my faith. If you're sitting next to me, then we're going to talk about Jesus. And if you want to respond, it'll be a long time. And if you don't want to, then that's Jesus telling me I can take a nap. That's how that works. And so I have an unfair advantage because I work here, and I'm almost always going on some trip that has to do with Jesus. And so I sit down on the plane, and whoever's sitting next to me, I usually get out my Bible because I'm usually working on a sermon. And I just look at him and go, uh, you know, how you doing, whatever. And I say, so what do you do for a living? And they, and they answer. And then what do they have to do? 
they have to go, and what do you do for a living? Ha ha, funny you ask. I, I work for Jesus. I, I'm a pastor. And then I go, so you know we got to talk about this, right? And then I just talk about Jesus. Okay, so no problem. <clears throat> so I'm flying back from Africa via Amsterdam. That's how we get there. I don't know why. It seems weird on a globe, but that's how we go. And so I'm flying back from Amsterdam. I mean, this girl from Amsterdam is sitting next to me, and you want to talk about no church experience and no understanding of the gospel and all of that, and she is thoroughly intrigued by a creator that would love us and all of this, and, and we're having this conversation about the gospel and about Jesus and what the cross means and all this stuff, and, and I don't know if you've been in these conversations, but you can tell when people feel like you're trying to sell them Amway, and you can tell when the Holy Spirit is working on somebody and they're leaning in, and I'm talking about Another thing, just for me, I, I'm not okay with just sharing the message. I want to close the deal. I mean, this is what I do, right? I'm, we're we're, we're 30,000 feet. We're halfway to heaven anyway. Let's go ahead and take it all the way home. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and as we begin to move to like, hey, why don't you just surrender your life to Christ right here? I mean, here we are. Why not? And then all of a sudden, you can see you're pumping the brakes, and, and she goes, oh, all right, but I've got a few questions. Um, what about, what is the church's stance, or what about gay marriage and abortion and the dinosaurs and climate change? I was like, hold on, okay, are you pregnant? Uh-uh. You got a girlfriend? Nope. Are you, are you a paleontologist? No. Is your name Al Gore? No. Okay, so, <laughs> now, all of those topics should be dealt with at the right time, in the right place, for sure. They're very important. They affect, they affect all kind of people, and all, absolutely, and there's an answer for all of that in the Scriptures, yes and amen. But in that moment, I don't think the deep desires of her heart were fossil records. I think it was just smokescreen. So what Jesus says here, he goes, hey, okay, you got questions about worship and mountains and who and this and that. Okay, but what about me? I'm sitting right here. And so what I do is typically I don't say, well, I don't know about that because I feel like I do know about that stuff. I could give her answers and Bible answers and church history answers and all that. But I'd say, do you really want to talk about those things or do you really just want to talk about what it looks like to follow after Jesus? Because every single follower of Jesus in the Bible did not get all their questions answered and then start following Jesus. Every single follower in the Bible just followed after Jesus and still has questions. Still has questions. You see, the Bible says that there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You know why? Did you know in heaven you won't have faith? Because you can't walk somebody in heaven and be like, do you believe in Jesus? What do you mean? Sitting right there. Do you hope? What do you mean I hope for nothing? I'm here. Like, there's nothing to hope for. This is what we were hoping for. Here we are. That's why the greatest of these is love, because that's what will remain, love. That in John chapter 6, the, the disciples have all kind of questions, all kind of questions. Jesus preaches this crazy sermon about eating blood, and, I mean, eating flesh and drinking blood, and the, everybody starts leaving. Then Jesus looks at Peter and says, you want to leave too? And Peter's like, how'd you know? And then... And then he goes, here's Peter's response. Well, where are we going to go? <laughs> he does not answer, no, we never thought of leaving. He doesn't answer that. He answers this way, where are we going to go? You're the only one that offers eternal life. In other words, Jesus, to leave you, even with my questions, because if i got to eat your finger and, you know, drink a little blood, all right. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about that line I was in at Catholic Church. That's what he was talking about. And he doesn't explain any of it. He doesn't say, oh, don't worry about it, Peter. It's not that big a deal. It's just going to be a little poop, and it's over, okay? He doesn't. He just lets the questions hang there unanswered, even though Jesus has all the answers. And he, and he just says to Peter, you don't want to leave too, do you? And Peter goes, hey, listen, um, even with all my questions, you're the only one that offers eternal life. 
So if you've got unanswered questions, guess what? You can make a great disciple. Let me tell you what you do with them. Pick them up, follow after Jesus. And if you don't know how to answer everybody's questions about all those categories or whatever, what about the, how does a good God let bad things happen to good people? Okay, there's an answer for that. But if you don't know it, then pick up your unanswered questions and follow after Jesus. And what about the man on the island? Well, go find him. Until then, pick up your, your questions and follow after Jesus. But do not be... Do not be put off by these unanswered questions, but always bring it back to, but what about following after Jesus? Verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. Remember, they'd all been to Publix together, all 12 of them. Just then, his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? And so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did can this be the Christ? This, folks, this is the purest form of sharing your faith. This is the purest form of being a witness. This is the purest form of, of, of evangelism. It is simply this. She has a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, and then she goes back to the people that God had placed around her in her life, and all she can do is talk about what she knows. And I get it, man, I get it. There's a lot of people, as soon as we talk about sharing your faith, they're like, I don't know if I want to do that because I don't know if I'm one of those people. Because the only people you've seen do that do it in a way that God has not wired for you to do. So I'm not encouraging any 1122ers to show up at the Jags game with a poster and a bullhorn, okay? Unless Jesus tells you to. And if he doesn't tell you to and you decide you're going to do that, I need my sticker back, okay, because it's just weird. <laughs> now, if he tells you to, then God bless your ministry, all right? But... Essentially, all she did is, th this is what she did. She was changed so much that she went and just shared an invitation with these people. Y'all got to see this. Which, by the way, we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to Christ. Actually, that three, over 3,000 people have come to Christ here at the Church of 1122. And do you know why we are one of the fastest growing churches in the country? It is not, it is not because of our marketing strategy. You know how I know? Because we don't have one. <laughs> we don't. We do, we do not have a marketing strategy. At no point are you going to drive through Jacksonville and, and me and First Lady Gretchen going to be on a, on a billboard like, hey, come down. You know, we're just not. That's not how we're going to do. We're not. In fact, we never intended to be a big church. That was not what we were trying to do. That's not it. But here's what happens is that we know when people come here, they're going to meet Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit under the authority of his word because Jesus died on the cross and he doesn't make mistakes and because God loves you and wants to adopt you into his family. And when God just overwhelms you with his love and people begin to see you changing and they're like, what is going on? And you'd say, hey, won't you come and see? You see, in fact, um, after this service, we have a baptism class. If you've never been baptized as a believer, I would encourage you to get baptized. And one of the things, one of the reasons, the number one reason is just to declare to the world that Jesus is your Lord. And the reason that we do baptism videos around here, you know why? Is so you can do what this woman is doing here. And for many of you, for many of you, the greatest evangelistic moment you might ever have is showing your baptism video to thousands of people. And you know what we see over and over and over? People come here for week after week after week and hear me talk a lot. And they're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. And they see your two-minute baptism video and they're like, it all makes sense. Because for whatever reason, man, the Holy Spirit just decides to use your words and not mine. Praise God. Because let me tell you, it ain't about me. It's all about Jesus. 
And so after the service, you could go uh, to the sanctuary and you could go to a baptism class. This woman did not have video, so she just goes to her town and says, hey, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Verse 30, and they went out of the town and were coming to him. By the way, if somebody at 1122 has ever invited you to be at 1122, can I tell you why? They wouldn't tell you this, but here's why. They love you. They want something for you, not from you. They believe that if you show up here, you're going to hear the gospel. And they might not be skilled to explain all those things to you, you know, because it can be weird about there playing golf. Like, hey, Taylor, can I talk to you for a second? Yeah, what's that? I love you, man. Okay, we're never playing golf again. All right, so they're just like, hey, you want to come to church with me? That's what that is about. And not to try to convince you or change you or anything like that, but just so that you could bump into Jesus and you guys could work it out on your own. So they went, out, they went out of the town, and they were coming to Jesus, verse 31. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Here's what all this means, two big things here. First of all, uh, the gospel is a team sport. The gospel is a team sport. What we, what I want, if you consider 1122 your home, I want you to consider all of us as a church working together for the sake of those, of you, those that you love that don't know Jesus yet. And so that we would work together. I have, I have done a lot of reaping where you have done a lot of sowing. And we do this thing together that whenever somebody shows up in this place, we're going to make much of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and not about who we are or who I am or any of that sort of stuff. And I want you, I want you to be able to, to understand that you could bring people to meet Jesus here anytime. Because, particularly like when I was in college, I, I didn't have, like, like I, I attended a church. I was a member of a church. It was a great church. It was a Bible-believing church. He taught the Bible every single week in a very nice suit. I think he cut grass and showered in his suit. I really do. And he talked like the King James English. It was beautiful. And we sang many incredible songs written in the late 1600s, all right? And then my, my which are great, I love them. But, but my fraternity brothers would come to know Christ, and then I would try to bring them to my church, and it was like, there was this huge disconnect. My fraternity brothers didn't have church clothes, and you couldn't just show up in your jeans and T-shirt at my church. And, and I remember one time I brought my friend, I'd led him to Christ in our Bible study in our, in our fraternity house, and I brought him to church, and we were sitting on the second row, and... Uh, and his name was Cameron, and his nickname was Big Sexy, so I can't even be like, don't tell me about your nickname, okay? They won't understand. And so, uh, <laughs> and so there he is, sitting on the second row, and during the sermon, during the sermon, he had a question. So he just raised his hand in a Baptist church, and I'm telling you, immediately, I can see the deacons, like, scurry. Now, some of you, some of you Pentecostal are like, glory to God, what's the problem? Okay, I know, in your church, you can sizzle like bacon, no problem. They'll be like, oh, welcome, brother, all right? And, uh... And, you know, and if you're Presbyterian, you don't call people brother because you don't know if they really are. You know what I'm saying? And so there's all that kind of stuff. And so he's, there he is with his hand up, and, and I ask him, what would you think? He's like, I didn't get it. I just, I was confused. And so then I had this, um, 
I had this college outreach ministry that I was a part of. And it, and it would be great. It would be great for like three weeks in a row. I mean, just great. Great message, good music, you know, made sense, no dress code, all of that. And then I'd bring a friend, bring a first-time guest. And if you ever bring a friend to church, everything changes, doesn't it? You see the lens through everything. You walk in here, and you're like, oh, I hope I can find a parking place. Oh, and I hope I can check my kids in. Please don't let it be too full. And I, all right, and I hope I don't sing too many songs. And I hope, you know, I hope this is my favorite song. Sing the good ones, and don't sing a new song today. Just sing the ones we know. And then, and then you think, oh, and I hope Joey's not mean. Sometimes he's mean, and, and you want to be like, no, see, he's funnier than this usually, I promise. All right, that's what you're thinking. <laughs> all you're doing is seeing it through the lens of not you anymore, but your friend coming to Jesus, right? And so I would go to this campus outreach deal, and for three weeks, it'd be awesome. And then sure enough, every time I'd bring my friend, and the moment I'd bring my friend, it'd be like weird week. You know, we would start, and then the big girl with the tambourine and the banner would be doing laps. I'd be like, oh, no, stop. What are you doing? She's just, Phew. he'd be like, man, is this a cult? I'm like, yeah, probably. Uh, probably. And so, so here, we are a movement for all people. Okay, so some of you shout to the Lord in joy during worship like this. Okay, God bless you. And some of you do. You dance and praise God. If you want to dance and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Just don't do it in a way that would not up here. Okay, this is the dance-free zone. Most of our dancers, God is called to dance back over there. Okay, but dance on. All right, you ain't dancing for us anyway. But it's a partnership. It really is. But here's, I think, part of the deeper meaning. See, Jesus is at this well, and he's like, all right, y'all, boys, go get me something to eat. When they get back, he goes, I don't need to eat right now. I'm full. You know what he's filled with? See, there is, there is a fulfillment that is better to food when you lead somebody to Jesus. My hope and prayer for every single person that considers himself a Christian and that considers 1122 to be your home church, Okay? For every single one of you, my prayer is that God might use you in 2016 to lead somebody to Jesus. Regardless of what part of the team. It might just be an invitation or you might seal the deal somewhere, okay? It really doesn't matter to God be all the glory. But as somebody that has had the opportunity to lead people to Jesus, there is nothing in this whole world that compares with, with God using you as a rescue agent of his rescue mission to help people cross over the line from death to life. Let me tell you this, to all the mature Christians, and I don't mean old Christians, I'm talking about those of you that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Those of you that sort of show up to church and think, well, I hope he digs into the deep stuff and does Hebrew and Greek and all of that. Listen, I have degrees in that stuff. I can do it, I promise, all right? And, and I do. And this is not, I am not leaving you out whatsoever. We teach the word of God here knowing that it always goes out and does what it will do and it will never return uh, void, all right? But... You want to know the greatest way to deepen your relationship with Jesus? It's help somebody else discover theirs. Nothing will grow or deepen your relationship with Jesus more than you being on mission with him trying to help other people discover a relationship with Jesus. So like, yeah, amen, amen, amen. So I need you. See, the deep people don't clap. They're like, well, I guess you're right. All right, so new Christians are excited. They're like, glory. All right, so... So I need you to get in the game on that level, on that level. And in fact, if you want to do, you're Bible nerds, you can do this. If you want to do a little Bible study, I dare you, over the next week, go through the Gospels and watch where the disciples made it all about the disciples becoming greater disciples. They always got in trouble. They always got in trouble. 
And then watch when the disciples turned their eyes off of themselves and made it about reaching out to people. God always came along and said, now you're getting it. You see, the same thing is true with us. So, verse 39. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You see, that was like the starting point. They were looking at her, and they were like, wow, well, if he can do this for you, maybe there's hope for me. Can I tell you, there are people watching you. There are people watching you, and because of what God is doing in your life, I mean, especially some of you. Some of you are like, well, God can save you. Then holy goodness, all right? I think there's hope for us all. Can I get a witness, Ron? So, and he told me all that I ever did. And so, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. You see, that what started as an invitation, hey, you should come and meet him. It led to their own personal walk with Jesus. Not overnight, but over time. Do you have any idea what hangs in the balance for you? That, that, that you, just by, by, by an invitation, by a conversation in the next few weeks or months or whenever that divine appointment is for you and say, okay, well, you know what? You should come to 1122 with me that God may use that to change somebody's eternal trajectory here's the point that jesus came to knock down all the roadblocks for us to come to know god and the church's job is to knock down all the roadblocks for others to come and meet jesus so as i talk about this here's what ought to be happening i need to ask you this question so who comes to mind who comes to mind you see i thank god that coach bully the guy that led me to jesus was not just focused on just his deepening relationship with Jesus, but by the way that Jesus deepened him was having his eyes looking all over Dylan to help other guys discover a relationship with Christ. And that he would, he would reach out and share the gospel with a, a whole generation of us. A whole generation of us. And I thank God for a man like that that God used to lead me here. Do you realize that you could be the coach Lee in somebody's life? You could be the Coach Lee in somebody's life. And, and in this new year, I'm telling you, there's no better time because it is intense self-evaluation. And God might have a divine appointment for you and that person. And it might be to share an invitation. Okay, It might be to share an invitation to church. Not to come to church, but so that they would meet Jesus here. Or it might be, it might be an opportunity to share your story. Like this woman did. Maybe you would have the opportunity to say, well, I, you know, I can't answer all your questions about this, that, and the other, and, and, and all of that in this world, but let me just tell you what Christ has done in my life. Or it might be an opportunity to share the gospel. I mean, you might do the full deal from very beginning to diagnosing the problem all the way to somebody receiving Jesus right there in your presence. Praise God. Or it might just be sharing another cup of coffee or sharing another meal so that your friends knows that you're a safe place where they can ask questions and bounce off ideas and those kind of things. So what I would encourage you to do is this. <clears throat> I would encourage you to think through what if 2016 is the year that that one person, that one person were to say yes. You see, when Coach Lee died they, at his funeral, Johnny Rickenbacker, which was one of, the, one of the guys that was on his staff when I became a Christian, he did his eulogy, and he read Acts 11.24, and he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It impacted me so much, I tattooed it on my arm, because hopefully one day when I'm done, one of y'all, hopefully I'll live the kind of life where you can stand up and you can read that. He was a good man, 
full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And let me tell you what moves me. That great number is not 7,000 at Christmas Eve. That great number in the king's economy is one more. It's just one more. That's it. It's just one more. I mean, when Coach Lee was sharing the gospel with me, his desire was just that one more little football player would surrender it all for the sake of Jesus. So let me ask you this. Who's that one more in your life? I'm telling you, immediately a name and a face comes to my mind. And a bunch of roadblocks pop up. Not from them, from me. A bunch of roadblocks. Like, God, you know, I've tried a hundred times. And God, how come I can lead random people on an airplane to you, but I can't lead some of the people that are closest in my life to you? Or God, you know I've invited them a thousand times. You think I still should? What if 2016 is the year? What if, starting today, you started really praying for that one more person? And then, you know what's going to happen to a bunch of you? You're going to have the opportunity, and you're going to know when it's coming, and you're going to say, you should, you should come to 1122 with me. And they're going to go, okay. And you're like, no, 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 but i got these four things I'm supposed to say to you to answer all your questions. And they're like, no, I don't need it. And you're like, dang, okay. <laughs> and imagine, imagine you meet out there in the parking lot, and you walk into this place. And we're singing, and you look over, and you're like, I'm kind of into it. And, and, and the word's coming, regardless of who it is coming from, and, you know, they're kind of leaning in instead of leaning back. And that this is the year, this is the year God uses you. God uses you to remove all those kind of roadblocks that he ultimately removed on the cross when he said, it is finished. So be praying for that one person as we pray for you this year. Would you please stand? And pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you because you first loved us. And God, I thank you that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, before we ever got our act together, Jesus, that you died for us. God, I thank you that you so loved the world and every individual of it. That Jesus, you came and you died. You came on a rescue mission. And Lord, we are honored that we would be a part of the rescue team. And so, God, every single one of us that know you right now in our hearts and our minds, God, we have a face, we have a name, we have somebody that more than anything else we would love for that one person to come to know you. God, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, at just the right time, God, we would be able to share our faith by sharing an invitation or sharing our story or sharing the gospel or maybe just sharing one more meal together to continue to build that relationship, God. But, Lord, you said we have not because we ask not. So we ask that that one would come to surrender to you this very year. And, God, if you would be so gracious, Lord, we don't care who does it or how it happens. But, Lord, we sure would love to be a part of that team. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, listen, we respond here. We respond to the gospel. We respond by singing. We're going to join our voices together. We respond by bringing our first and best, our tithes and offerings. And, listen, when you bring your first and best, you know, the, the majority of, of what that is used for is, is to create the kind of environments where people can come face to face with Jesus, right here in Jacksonville and literally to the ends of the earth. And we respond by praying. And what a bunch of us need to do is come to the altar and lift up the name of that one more person that you know that God will give you an opportunity to share with this year. Let's respond.